Well, praise the Lord. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. Ten years. It's a blessing to consider the Lord's goodness and grace. As a church, we have existed for ten years. But we do not exist to make a name for ourselves. We don't celebrate today because of Cornerstone. We celebrate today because of God. We celebrate His goodness. We don't, as a church, desire. We don't want. We ought never to seek to make a name for ourselves. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul writing to the church in Colossae in Colossians 3, 2 and 3, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. We exist as a body to glorify God. And as a body who exists to glorify God, our mission as a body, as a group of people, as a body of believers, is preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've seen it probably several times as you've come in with a new sign, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so on our 10th anniversary, as we rejoice in God's goodness to us, I want us to consider that mission, that purpose of ours. What do we mean by preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it just a fancy thing that we put on a sign? That's certainly not the desire of our hearts. As a group of people, as the church, the body of Jesus... This is how we desire to live out our identity in Christ. It's as much our desire for those who have attended this church for 10 months as it is for those who have attended for 10 years. And so let's look at it and ask the Lord's help in fulfilling it in the days and years ahead together. In Titus chapter 1, we're going to look at just the first three verses. Go ahead and stand as I read it. Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we thank You for Your Word, Lord. The flowers, the grass will fade. Buildings will fade. But Your Word will last forever and ever and ever. We praise You and we thank You for it. And Lord, we ask for your help. As we consider your word that lasts forever, we want to heed the words of Jesus. We want to take these words to heart. So help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This is a short letter. Titus is a short letter written by Paul. 
to Titus, a co-laborer of Paul in the gospel. Co-laborer with Paul in the gospel. And it's meant to encourage, this letter is meant to encourage Titus, who has been left to care for and shepherd the churches on the island of Crete. Paul had recently been to the island of Crete and churches were established there and he leaves Titus there to oversee and to help shepherd there. And we see further in verse 5, this is why Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus is being encouraged and instructed about the church. And the letter of Titus stresses that sound doctrine goes hand in hand with the life of sanctification and the doing of good works. Sound doctrine. Doctrine goes hand in hand with a life of sanctification, of growing in Christ, and the doing of good works. So really, the entire letter is a long version of our mission, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus. But we just want to focus on these first verses. It begins with Paul, a servant of God. Paul says, I'm a servant of God. That word servant comes from the word doulos, which is literally bondservant or slave. Paul, a servant, a bondservant, a slave of God. I'm a slave of God, Paul begins. I'm bound to Him. I'm committed to Him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here in Titus, Paul says, I'm a slave of God. But in other places, specifically 1 Corinthians, he says of you and of me, those of us who are in Christ, you are slaves of God. You are servants of God. You were bought with a price. He purchased us. When you purchase something, when I purchase something, I have a purpose for that purchase. The more costly the purchase, the more serious the purpose. I don't want to see it go to waste. I want to see its purpose fulfilled. And in the same way, the Lord, when He purchased me, when He purchased you at the cost of His life, had a purpose for us and for you. I'm a servant. I'm His servant, purposed for His glory. You were bought with a price, Paul says to the Corinthians. So, glorify God with your body. That's what I mean when I said earlier we don't exist to make a name for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, a messenger of Paul was uniquely set apart by the Lord Jesus for a specific work. In a similar way, not the same way, Paul was an apostle. That office has ended. But in a similar way, we have been set apart. He purchased us by His own blood. And we've been chosen and called As Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, we've been set apart, called to a life for His glory. We have a purpose in our lives. 
call a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. What does that mean? To see others come to faith. To see the elect believe. Believe the gospel. Embrace the gospel and their knowledge of the truth. To see them know and embrace the truth. To see others come to faith and to see them know and embrace the truth. Paul says, this is why I live my life. This is what I do. Now, what is truth? And Paul says, the truth, not just truth. But what is truth? Some of you may be asking that today. You may be like Pilate before Jesus was condemned to die. As he says to our Lord Jesus, what is truth? Maybe you're asking that this morning. What is truth? More specifically, Paul says the truth. So what is the truth? We can look at three texts that would help us to understand what the truth is. John 14, verse 6. So Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So first we see that Jesus is the truth. If we're to talk about or to have knowledge of or embrace the truth, we are to do that of Jesus, the Son of God. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus himself is truth, but Jesus himself prays to the Father. Father, your word is truth. The scriptures are true and are the truth. And and so we see that Paul is saying in Titus 1, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of Jesus and of God's word. But third, we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 and 3, Paul writing to the Corinthians, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What open statement of the truth is he talking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, what is this open statement? Or what is this that Paul says for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's God's word. Those three things, those three definitions don't contradict in any way. They are the same. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He is the gospel and the fulfillment of the gospel, the good news that we proclaim and embrace. So that's really what we are saying in our purpose. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And then he goes on, which accords with godliness. 
which accords with godliness. What does that mean? It does something. It works itself out in practice. The truth, the faith works itself out in practice. Faith does something. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what we are seeking to do as a people, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel, preaching the truth, and practicing the truth. Preaching which accords with godliness. Preaching that works itself out in practice. Preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at those two things and how we as individuals and as a body, are called to live this out. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message. The word gospel means good news. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. That's what Paul is saying there. This is the gospel that I proclaimed, that I preached to you. This is the good news. Gospel is message. It's an an announcement. We are not faithfully believing the gospel if we're not proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because it's a message to be heralded, proclaimed, preached. So I don't really believe it is good news if I don't treat it as good or news. Good news. It's gospel. When we talk about preaching the gospel, we mean that corporately, as a body. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is that we would all preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two reasons for that. Because the gospel does two things when it is preached. Two things when it is preached. It brings faith and it bolsters faith. Or strengthens faith. The gospel brings faith and it bolsters Paul says it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So for some, that means the elect, the chosen of God who have not yet believed. They are elect, but they have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at some point, they will hear the word of God. They will hear the gospel proclaimed, the preaching of the gospel, and will repent and submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. The preaching of the gospel brings faith. But it also bolsters faith. We don't preach the gospel only to unbelievers. We preach the gospel continually to ourselves and to one another. Because it strengthens us. It bolsters faith. For those in Christ, the truth, the gospel strengthens our faith. What does Jesus pray in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Grow them, Lord, 
strengthen them, bolster their faith by the truth, sanctify them. Preaching the gospel brings faith and bolsters faith. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul writing to Timothy, a pastor at the church of Ephesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I love that. How does Paul define the church, the household of God? A pillar and buttress of the truth. So we as a church, whether it is written on a sign or not, exist to bring and bolster truth, the faith, the gospel, to preach truth, to support the truth, to hold up the truth, to wave truth as a banner. And the truth is the gospel. The truth is Jesus. The truth is God's Word. So we exist to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And secondly, our mission is practicing the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is a message. If it's good news, then how do we practice it? How do you practice good news? How do you practice the gospel? The answer is we live in accordance to it, or we live in the light of it. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How do we practice the gospel? We let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We display the gospel that we believe and proclaim. What does that look like? Well, Paul helps us in Ephesians 4. Again, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So let's look at those things. How do we practice? And we're just going to look at these three things. There's so many, so many things in the Scriptures that we could look at as as a means to practice the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bear witness to what we believe and what we proclaim, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. But let's just look at these three. It's what Paul gives us in Ephesians 4 when he says live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So let's look at these three things. And as we look at them, we'll see that they're very much in accord with the call to discipleship that Jesus gave to us. Again, Luke 9, 23, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So these three things that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4, verse 2, go hand in hand with 
Jesus' call to discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The first, with all humility, Paul says. That's self-denial. That's denying yourself. Humility. It's a display of the gospel we believe and preach. It's a display of Jesus Himself. We looked in December at Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Paul's saying that to believers, saying, count others more significant than yourselves. Be humble. Why? Because Jesus was humble. Jesus was that. Jesus made himself nothing. And so if we are to practice the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling to which we've been called, then we ought to be humble. We ought to deny ourselves. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, Paul says. Deny yourself. Secondly, with gentleness and patience. That's cross-bearing, really, isn't it? You consider this. Trusting the Lord when things are difficult. Everyone, all of us, look very patient and very gentle when those things are not being tested. Right? When my patience is not being tested... When things are not difficult, when, when I'm not having to bear my cross to follow Jesus, when life is easy, I look like I'm very patient. <laughs> I look like a very gentle person, and, and we all do. But it's when those things are tested. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. When difficulty comes, are we practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we gentle and patient like Christ is, like the gospel message, the person of the gospel we proclaim. Psalm 18, verse 35, the psalmist writes, you've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. I'm nothing. God God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign, holy one, your gentleness made me great. And in the same way, we ought to, in bearing our cross, be gentle and patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit includes patience and gentleness. One of the ways that we display cross-bearing is by gentleness and patience toward others. So with all humility and gentleness and patience, Paul says, but also bearing with one another in love. That's the third way, love and compassion for others. That's following Christ. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Follow Christ. How do we follow Christ? By bearing with one another in love. Love and compassion for other people. As individuals and as the body, we are nothing. We are nothing if we are not loving. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, right? 
whatever you may be able to do, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're a resounding gong, he says. If we're not loving, we're nothing. We're certainly not displaying the gospel that we preach and believe. I practice the gospel as I seek to live the life it has granted to me, displaying the life and love of a good and gracious Savior, humbly, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, Paul says. And each of these things, preaching the gospel of Jesus and practicing the gospel of Jesus, is not just individually, but corporately. God made us a body together. Praise God. He made us a body together. Do you ever consider that? Here we are sitting in this room together. Why? Why does this crazy mix of people come together regularly? Why do we do that? Certainly with this many people we wouldn't all gather together apart from something. Jesus. He changed us. He saved us. And together we want to worship Him and glorify Him. He brought us together by His Spirit. He united our hearts. Hearts of people that would not have been united other than His Spirit. God made us a body together. And so we preach. We are all to preach the gospel of Jesus in the body, in the church to one another. Paul goes on in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, he says, He gave, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We, corporately, ought to be preaching the gospel to one another, building each other up in love, speaking the truth, Paul says. God's Word, Jesus, the gospel to one another but also in the world for the sake of the faith of the elect. Those who have not yet believed. Paul writes to the Romans, how will they hear, call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Corporately, we ought to be preaching the gospel, yes, to one another, but also to the world for the sake of the faith of the elect. How will they know? How will they hear? How will they believe when someone goes and preaches to them? And likewise, we ought to practice the gospel of Jesus, live and flesh out the truth to one another and to the world. Consider how we have the opportunity to flesh out, to practice the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another in the local body. Whatever capacity you serve in, I'll just pick a couple here. Whatever capacity you serve in, there is opportunity for gospel preaching and gospel practicing. I want to encourage you If you're a greeter here at Cornerstone, you have opportunity to build up the body through speaking the truth in love. The truth, the gospel. But also practicing hospitality, displaying the compassion of Jesus toward other people. Love for visitors and those who come each week. Maybe you're a kid's worker. You wonder, why do I do this? That's that ministry, right? You sign up, sign up, we make a call from the front, and it's like, we need kids workers. And and, and you sign up, and you're like, I am going to be the best kids worker this church, no, this world has ever seen. And it's like four quarters later, you're like, I think Kate hates me. Why does she have me on the schedule? Again, doesn't she know that, you know, this is my Sunday, that Kate is wonderful. She loves you dearly, and I want to encourage you with this, okay? If you're a kid's worker, you have the opportunity to tell someone who literally has childlike faith about Jesus. You can build up their parents. You can practice the gospel As you give rest to parents. And you may be thinking, well, I don't serve in an area where I get to teach. They're just little. Think about this, okay? Maybe you hold babies week in and week out. That's how you serve here. You practice the gospel when you change a diaper of a child that isn't yours. I'm dead serious. Listen to me, okay? How? How do we display the gospel of Jesus Christ in serving a kid and changing a diaper? Because you were just as vile and, dare I say, disgusting, and the Lord cleaned you. That is an imaging of the gospel when we serve other people, even in disgusting ways. When we go into the world and do the same, when we're hospitable, when we love, when we are uh, caring for others, when we serve them in what people would look down on and say, this is a repulsive thing that we would do. We're serving them and displaying the gospel. You serve in the cafe. You're showing the hospitality and, of Jesus and having gospel conversations, serving one another. That's practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's displaying the very thing that we preach and believe. We practice in the church. We also 
ought to live in a manner worthy of the gospel to the world. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel, Paul says. Practice the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 in Titus chapter 1, how do we do this? We do this in hope. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Eternal life is a promise made by God. And so I preach and I practice the gospel with absolute hope because God never lies. Never lies. Never has, never will, can't. And therefore, we have hope. Our mission for God's glory because of God's grace is something that has been given to us, granted to us, so that as we gather together around it with great joy, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Preaching and practicing the gospel, the message, the truth that has been given to us. This morning as we sing, the prayer room is going to be open. Chris and Jen Morton will be there We preach and practice the gospel because we are servants of Jesus Christ. And if you are not yet that, if you would need to meet with someone this morning to talk about that very thing, to talk about the gospel, that Jesus died and that He rose from the dead and that He is coming again, that He made it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins, I would encourage you to go to the prayer room and to pray with them, to talk with them. But as we move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, a means of preaching and practicing together is taking communion. Paul tells us that we proclaim, we announce, we herald His death until He comes when we take the bread and the cup. So we're preaching even as we take communion. But we also practice We display His body which was broken and His blood which was shed as we remember the gospel message. And so let's prepare our hearts to commune and to worship together as we sing and partake. Let's pray.